Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Today we're going to be talking about how to be an adult and what adulting actually is. Now, speaking of adulting, you guys should see me right now. I'm legit podcasting from my bed. This is like dream life. I'm also getting sick, which means I kind of have like a raspy phone operator voice. So you're welcome for that. That is free of charge. (laughs) But for real, I am getting a little bit sick. So I'm trying to kick it and rest my voice so that I'm not losing it totally because I always have a lot of speaking events and that's never fun when you can barely talk, you know? Anyway, before we dive into all of the awesomeness of today's guest, I have to share with you a really fun money win. This money win comes from one of my private coaching clients, Allie and Matt. This is so cool. I'm so, so proud of them. They paid off one of their student loans and are on track to pay off probably at least another student loan by the end of the year. And I'm so, so proud of all the hard work that they're doing and the sacrifice that they're putting in to make their dreams happen and build a really great financial future. So congrats to you, Allie and Matt, on your money win. I am so thrilled for you and so proud of you. And I could not be more proud. Seriously, you guys are killing it. Speaking of killing it, today's guest, Bobby Rebel, is an absolute rock star. She's a certified financial planner, and she's host of two podcasts, one called Financial Grown Up, and she's a co-host of Money with Friends podcast. She's also the author of the book, How to Be a Financial Grown Up. And the cool thing about her podcast is in her podcast, Financial Grown Up, she interviews really, truly top thought leaders in personal finance and other role models. She shares life-changing and inspiring money stories and advice. And every single time I listen to her podcast, I always walk away feeling a little bit more inspired and empowered to kick butt with our money. Like, I just think it's really cool. And she's such an uplifting person. So you guys are really going to love her personality and all of the advice that she shares. So what specifically you're going to learn in this episode is we're going to talk a little bit about her goal of writing a book and how that goal in addition to wanting to spend more time with her family, led her to walk away from a pretty high paying job. I always find those stories extra inspirational because I think it's really putting your money where your mouth is. And that is very tricky sometimes, especially when it comes to values and all of that stuff. So I think you guys are going to enjoy hearing her feedback and her thoughts on how she navigated that decision. We talk a little bit about why she's a fan for her personally of being a mom and having a job. And then speaking of momming, we also talk about mom shame. This is something I see. I'm not even a parent and I see it. So I feel for all you moms that experience mom shame. So we talk a lot about what that looks like and how she deals with that. The importance of truth when giving financial advice And then we also wrap up this conversation with how to use Facebook groups to find really great deals on clothes, on stuff, like on whatever the heck it is, and also buying and renting clothes ethically. I love this discussion. I think it's super, super important. Ethical fashion is high on my priority list in the near future. It's something I've been slowly working towards as my budget allows, but I think it's a really good goal to aim towards. I am so stoked for you guys to meet Bobby Rebel. She's a rock star, and I know you're going to learn a ton from her. So if you enjoyed this episode, do us the biggest favor, both Bobby and myself, take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram to let me know that you're listening in and that you're resonating with everything that Bobby is saying that you're picking up what she's putting down, so to speak. All right, guys, without further ado, is that a thing? Do people actually say that? Anyway, without further ado, I am so excited to introduce you to my friend, Bobby Rebel. 
Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today I'm joined by a really incredible guest. She's an absolute rock star. You are. A CFP, a host of two different podcasts, Financial Grown Up, Money with Friends, and you even have a book called How to Be a Financial Grown Up. Uh, Bobby Rebel, how the heck do you do it all? And thank you so much for being here. I just want to say I'm officially exhausted. (laughs) No, for real. I'm exhausted just thinking about your life. You left out the biggest part. I mean, I'm also a mom. You are and that's, mom. that's really, I hate to, I'm going to be really cheesy. That's the number one job, but actually everything has been constructed to fit around being a mom. That's All so the cool. things that you just mentioned, including the book that I'm working on, which is my true passion project right now is my next book, which is actually for parents. It's the flip side. Oh. So we had raised, we had financial grown up, which is for people that want to be financial grown ups. And now we're going to have raising financial grown ups, which is going to be for parents who want to raise kids that are basically money smart. Oh, so we could so all be beautiful. good. When is that book coming out? I'm hoping for spring of 2021. So it's very much a work in progress. Books take a long time. Oh my God. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So props that you even have one book, let alone two coming out. I think that's super impressive. But tell us a little bit. I know that you haven't always been in what you're doing today. You made a big shift in your career. Can you tell us what you were doing and how you ended up where you are now? So this is a very new career. It's only been about two years. And a lot of the reason for that, and this is true for so many people, is just that I wanted to be able to have more control over my time and spend time with my family. I was coming home. I was actually a business news TV anchor. I was a global business anchor at Reuters, which is a big news organization. And I would come home and I was just exhausted. And even if I would see my family, I was just brain dead Mm -hmm. at that point. So it was really not working for me. And the other open secret, at least in America, a lot of other countries have better systems for parents of young children, is that when you factored in the cost of childcare, and I had a really good job, Whitney. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine if someone doesn't have a, you know, a pretty high paying job, you figure out uh, the cost of childcare, you figure out your transportation, your wardrobe, and also taxes. Mm -hmm. I live in New York City, so that's really fun. And I wasn't actually making much of a profit. So by working for myself and making similar money top line, I actually was able to increase my income a lot because I wasn't paying for childcare anymore. Whoa. Okay. So so it was a lot. Can we dive into the emotional piece of making that shift though? Were you scared to death or not too bad? I was so scared and it was a really hard thing because I did not have that many supporters. I had a lot of people that were very doubtful. Um, People asked me if I was going to hire a ghostwriter to write the book, Mm. which is really insulting to a journalist. Totally. There are a lot of amazing ghostwriters and there's a lot of people that have ghostwriters and that's a great fit because they're not writers, but they have amazing stories to tell. Mm. So it's great to have that teamwork in many books. So it's nothing wrong with having a ghostwriter, but a lot of people had doubts. I had come to my bosses at Reuters where I worked at the time and you have to be very honest um, and tell them what you're up to because we have a very, they had a very, um, very strong ethics policy. And so you had to be transparent that, you know, on the side, I'm writing this book, just so you know, it won't be done during work hours. And I won't mix the guests from who I'm interviewing on camera for you guys with my book interviews and all that. Hmm. But I had to go to my bosses and I said, I'm going to write this book and it's going to be personal money stories from really famous, basically business celebrities, CEOs and such. And there were a lot of eye rolls. And I know there were a lot of people whispering, ha 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 ha. I don't think she's going to pull that off. She has three kids at home. How's that going to happen? And so I was really just proud that I got it done, frankly, oh, because yeah. people didn't think that it was going to happen. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'm very proud. Like I had a lot of amazing people in the book from Kevin O'Leary. I had Drew Barrymore was in the book. Oh, I, I missed had that. Uh, 
Sally Krawcheck was in the book. Yeah, just incredible people. So I felt very fortunate that people people were really cool. That I got a lot amazing. of great stories. Okay, so when you were interviewing all these like really A-level people, was there somebody specifically that you were a little extra nervous to talk to? Well, Tony Robbins. So part of the inspiration for the book was that I always used to listen to um, Awaken the Giant Within, which is one of Tony Robbins' first books from early in his career. And I would listen to it walking in Central Park. And it really inspired me because he just says things like, you just have to make a decision. You have to decide to do it. And he talks about being overweight and alone and really depressed in his studio apartment and being a janitor. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a janitor, but for him, that was something that he didn't want to stay in for his life. And it just, if he could do it, anyone could. And so I was so inspired by him. And I made lists, Whitney, of different categories of people that I wanted to be in the book. So I, you know, I'd mentioned Drew Barrymore. I wanted an actress. Uh, I wanted someone in the fashion world. I had Cynthia Rowley was, was in the book. And so I wanted someone who was someone that was a motivational speaker and really inspiring. And I had, I don't want to tell you who my second, third, and fourth people were, but I had a list of, you know, about four people and Tony was the first one. And it took me a couple of years while I was writing this book to get to him. And it happened sort of one of those accidents that happens after a lot of hard work. You know how that yes, goes. I do. <laughs> so, and I was able to get him not only to be in the book, but in the end, he wrote the forward to the book. So that was a huge life moment, but I was terrified. Oh my God, that's to a total mic drop. drop. I know. Good I mean, it was you. one of these, like, if you wish it, it will come. And it did. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever have something else in my life that happens that way, where I literally had this wish list of people I wanted to interview for the book. And he was number one because he's the one that gave me the inspiration to actually do it. Oh, that's so cool. And then I met him and I've now met him a number of times and I've gone to his um, events and he's incredible and continues to inspire me. But the fact that he ended up being in the book was a dream, and, but also extremely intimidating. Oh, for sure. And he's a like, guy. I don't know if you've ever seen him in person. Huh. He is large, truly larger than life. He is like just like seven feet tall. He's a giant. And you're like very, super petite very, too. Very, so it's like. I'm pretty petite. Yes. <laughs> Yes. That's amazing. And his wife, Sage, I met his wife, Sage, very briefly, and she's tiny and petite. So uh, lovely people, really That's great people. So cool. So, so I feel very you, lucky. What did you learn about yourself through writing all of this stuff? Was there any themes that you walked away after writing this book that you discovered about who you were? I learned to set boundaries, Whitney, because I had been working at Reuters, which was a job that I did love. And I had been in charge of my group, the U.S. video group. And so... As part of that, I was really working 12-hour days because I was on a phone call at 7 a.m. Eastern time with London. So I had to prepare for it every morning. And without going through the details of the whole day, I wasn't finished until after 6 when we put the uh, market wrap to bed. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very long day. And what I learned was that I was actually really being paid for an 8-hour day, really 7 hours because an hour was lunch. And I started to just number one, delegate and be more efficient. So I realized I could put my number two person who was working a morning shift anyway, I put him on that morning call to London and just let it go. My bosses weren't, I wasn't getting as much sort of virtual FaceTime, but I just let it go. I delegated it. And then I really just became much more intentional and thoughtful with my time and created a routine to be able to do the book. So I started coming into work at 11 and leaving at six. So I worked my full seven hours, always focused. I was not doing the book while I was there. I was a hundred percent doing my job. I never 
apologize to anybody. I didn't make excuses. I didn't say, I'm so sorry. I'm not coming in till 11. When people asked my hours, I just said 11 to six. That was it. And then I was able to utilize that time that I freed up to write the book. Hmm. I can imagine too, when you set that clear boundary, I could immediately see people being more productive. I was more productive. Absolutely. And I also stopped apologizing. That's something, look, it's sort of gender neutral, but women do tend to do that a lot where we'll say, I'm so sorry. I have a dentist appointment. I have to go and we'll work, you know, three hours for the one hour that we're missing at work and be apologizing the whole time versus sometimes a lot of times it's stereotyping a bit, but a lot of men will just go to the dentist appointment and come back. <laughs> right. Like life goes on, guys. And not even tell anyone. And we're having this whole apology three days in <laughs> advance and people writing a memo. If you need to reach me, <laughs> I I, you know, here's my cell. Oh my God. <laughs> and I just learned to, it's okay. People just want the work done. They want you to be there and be well rested and happy to be there and nice to be around and cooperative and teamwork and all that. But really they just want the work done. And if you can do it more efficiently, that's great. I think that's a really good life advice for everybody, especially for me too. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm specifically curious too, Bobby, how was money talked about when you were a kid? Very specifically. So I grew up um, almost the opposite of, of you. And I know a lot of your listeners know a lot about your background. I grew up in suburban New Jersey. My father was pretty successful in business. He was an investment banker. And in fact, he was even the chairman of a publicly traded company. So um, we were exposed to money pretty early on. I went to private school, but we were also um, expected to work. I had my first job at 15 at a bakery, uh, earning a minimum wage and moved through. I had all all kinds of jobs. I had in college, I worked at a place called The Lodge, which is like The Gap. I worked um, doing gift wrap at a department store. So I was always working. Um, It's amazing. I can't fold clothing, even though I've been trained (laughs) to those things. Um, I never really mastered that, but I was really good at selling. I was good at selling in the clothing stores and upselling. Um, Always avoided inventory days, though. So... But so we weren't needing anything, but we definitely understood that our paychecks from these minimum wage jobs were very small. And that was definitely a motivator to work to have jobs that paid more and to be paying attention to that. And even within the news business, um, I had a lot of pointed discussions with my dad that there's a big difference in how the pay is between local news and financial news. Financial news pays significantly more. Really? Oh, not even in the same league. Yeah. Huh. Financial news, you can make a very good living. Things have changed. Journalism is tough right now, but absolutely, you can make a very good living in financial news. Um, it's challenging. It's not always as exciting. Um, you and I find it exciting, I know. but other people don't. Um, but yeah, growing up, we had to come to my dad with budgets and he would give us the money in that sense, but we had to justify how much we would need and we would have to plan for a semester. So I had to plan how much money I would need for a semester of college, let's say, and he would write the check, but he would be questioning, okay, why do you need this amount for this and so on? So we were very privileged in that we got the money, but we had to constantly justify it and be watching where it was going and understanding that. I freaking love your dad. That is incredible. And I hope that those stories are going into the book as well. I'm sure they are. Yes, absolutely. And I bought real estate in the book. It is my story. And it was a lot because of my father's advice. I did buy real estate at age 23. I lived at home, saved up money. And again, because I was very fortunate and I was being given money in college, the money I was earning was going into the bank. So I had a lot of savings when I got out of college. I had money. I finished college actually early because I'm a type A, a little bit of a, I don't know. I, I, I worked really hard. I finished college early. My dad let me keep the extra tuition that he had saved. 
So that went into the account too. So I was able to use that and buy a first apartment about a year after graduation. I lived at home and also saved money. And, um, oh. cause I worked in New Jersey at CNBC and lived at home. So I was able to save my money and buy an apartment by age 23. You were such a rock star. I love that you were able to do that and you prioritize that too. So I have a serious question. I, I haven't really had the opportunity to talk to very many people that grew up financially okay. So for you, when you were growing up, did you ever experience, I could see, I've heard at least, that when you come from a family that does have money, you are either embarrassed by it or you embrace it and you kind of run with it. Did you ever feel embarrassed by money or shameful about money or any of those those types of feelings? I love that question. Wow. Um, no, the answer is no, never embarrassed by it because I was also in a bubble, to be honest with you. Sure. And so I went to private school. So we were not, we were in the middle. So I had a car, but I had, uh, I want to say a Saab and it was used. It wasn't new. And there were Ferraris and Beamers in the parking lot, Crazy. Whitney. So I know. So I can't say I was, a, I mean, no, but I felt completely <laughs> secure. Also, I never felt like we were poor. I mean, we were fine. We were completely fine, but there were a lot of kids with a lot more, at least a lot more that was showing. So for example, we wouldn't necessarily always have the, whatever the cool jeans were and that stuff. Cause my mom was busy. My mom was a lawyer. So there was none of that. Like there wasn't, we weren't flashy people. We ate dinner at home. Granted, we had, you know, a housekeeper that made us dinner because sure. my mom was working. My dad, they were working Whitney. Yeah. Working. My dad was an investment banker. He slept with a Blackberry on his chest. Hmm. They were workaholics. And so I get that from them too. So they were working a lot. And so I had, you know, I had a nanny at home, which is good and bad. Um, so, you know, I, we didn't have a lot of family dinners like that because they were working all the time. So it's not a black and white situation. Um, we, you know, we didn't ever have any fear of not having a thing, mm -hmm. but we didn't really want a thing either. I love that. I think that's sense. smart. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I, I think it's really right. interesting too. There's one thing that you hit on that I seriously just, I want to clear the air right now. For people that ever feel guilty about having a nanny or having hired help when it comes to your kids, oh my God, like I am all for, I do not have children, but when I do, I know for certain I will have a nanny and I will not apologize for that ever because I think it's so important if you have that ability and you know that you are a hustler and you, your priorities are, I'm going to grow a business, I'm going to work a lot. And then, yes, sometimes that means I can't be there for every single thing with my kids. I think that's okay. And I think there's so much mom shame and just shame around that in general. So I'm glad you mentioned that. But what are your thoughts on that? Do you have help now that you are an adult and you've got three kids? So I have no help now. I have a 12 year old. So, and this interview we've discussed has to end at a certain time because I have to go get my 12 year old. <laughs> so I haven't had any help since I left Reuters because that was part of the math formula was that if I left, we wouldn't have to have childcare and I would do projects like my book, like the podcast. And I work with brands now as well that can fit in the hours that my son is at school, thus saving us a ton of money. Because when we had a nanny, we hired her on the books. We hired someone who was here legally on the books and paid her a fair wage. And that's not something everybody does. And clearly I'm very proud of it. So it was very expensive and it's really a game changer. And I feel bad because, you know, it's complicated when you have kids because you, the math doesn't always work. Some people can't even afford to work and work for 
it, I mean, it tends to be for women. It could be gender neutral, but it's almost a luxury to be able to work sometimes because you don't actually make a profit. I had a really good job and I wasn't really making a profit because the cost of childcare is so high in this country and it's really unforgiving to moms. And if you drop out of the workforce, even for a few years, there's all kinds of data about the impact and negative impact it will have on your career. Mm -hmm. So for me, I really wanted to keep working because I still, even though I was breaking even, I was providing healthcare for my family. It was a union union job. We had very good healthcare. We also was, I was able to fund a 401k. We had an 8% match. You can tell I really knew this stuff. No, we had did. an 8% match on the 401k. That's a big deal. So mm -hmm. I really encourage moms to work for money. Um, and even if that means having a nanny and even if that means to some degree, not really making a net profit or what appears to be a net profit, uh, yep. because I wasn't making a net profit, but I was moving forward in my career so that when I peeled off, I was at a certain level, right? I had the credibility to do this book. You had to have all that stuff. And also I have a real 401k. So even though I didn't feel like I was netting, I, you know, I look at that now and I'm in my forties and I can say, I have my retirement fund, of course, nothing's perfect. No one ever said I have too much retirement money, but it's fine. Like it, we did that. We did that as we went along. And so you should never negate the contributions of the lower income person in a, in a marriage or partnership. And I think, you know, it's the thing with the nanny is just, it's, it's always complicated because you want to spend the time with your child, but it's really good for children to see their parents working. Yeah. I'll never forget. I went to get my son one day and he had spent the day, they had had a day off and he, and he, there was like a play group and I said, who was there? And he said, so-and-so and so-and-so and, so and, so and the nannies. And he said, but so-and-so, I felt so bad because her mommy was there. She said, her mommy's always there, which is nice, but she doesn't have a job. I'm sad for her. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, my son thinks it's okay that I work because I had so much guilt. And oh. even now he's very proud of me. I mean, there's nothing like having your son go to Barnes and Noble and take your book off the shelf and say, mom, your book is here. That is so That's the cute. best, right? Aww. So- you know, I think you have to get over the mom guilt and do whatever works for you, but never negate the fact that having a corporate job when you have a young child does have benefits, even though it's very hard, mm -hmm. very, very hard. You are such a rock star. I appreciate you sharing that. And I know for today, we kind of are, I know we were chatting a little bit before about how difficult it can be sometimes to talk about money with friends. So I'm going to give you a scenario and see how you would approach it and then how do we have better money conversations with our friends in general and use the relationships to grow both of us? So here's an example that I see often. Somebody comes to the table and they're telling their friends something or their friends asking for a piece of advice. And it's a constant struggle. They're always like just struggling with money in some capacity. You give your advice and your friend doesn't ever seem to respect it or listen. How do you approach that? This happened to me. A very similar situation, very similar in that I have a friend that constantly comes to me and says, can I quit my job to follow my dream? And I say to her, but what have you put in place to do this? Because she's had a couple of sabbaticals from work before and has not accomplished the goals that she said she would accomplish during this time. And I said, so what's different? Have you set up this? Have you set up this? And she never has good answers. And she said, but I just need you to validate that I'm going to be okay. And I was like, well, I don't know that you will. And she just, you know, she's looking for the easy way out. And she's made comments to me that she thinks it's very easy to do the things that I've done. And it takes a lot of work. And it takes sometimes, you know, you don't go to yoga class 
And she's someone that always prioritizes those things, which is great for her. But sometimes you don't do certain things that you want to do because you're going to spend Saturday night at Whole Foods working on your book. Yeah. Being a super nerd, this money nerd. (laughs) So I think that you have to just stick to what you believe and just repeat the message over and over again. That's what I've done. I don't know. What do you do? I mean, gosh, I I don't have any good advice with that. I think it's the boundary piece and same exact thing. Just keep repeating it in the hopes that maybe someday it'll get through. Yeah, I think they just want you to say uh, something that validates what they want to hear. And I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'll tell her what I truly believe. And then if she chooses not to follow it, then she'll be in the same place a year from now. And we'll just keep having the same conversation. Exactly. One thing that I've learned for my own life when it comes to my personal relationships, when somebody comes to me and they're venting or complaining, one of the things I always I always say is, are you looking for my advice or do you just want me to listen? And that has helped quite a bit too. I love that. Yeah, that's good. This friend does ask for my advice specifically, but <laughs> next time hard. I'm going to use that on her. I'm going to say, why don't I just listen to you? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. that's what we want. But I love that. Okay, so with friendships, they can be amazing. They can be complicated. They can be all across the board. With your friendships, you found a really interesting way to utilize their connections to better your own life. So specifically with a birthday party, can you walk us through how you would approach a birthday party and utilize your friends' connections as well to help you plan an amazing event? Yeah, I think with anything, I love to crowdsource advice because very often if you're just looking online, you're getting generic things. There's all kinds of data about fake reviews and that kind of stuff. But if you put something in, for example, uh, you know, you could say uh, New York City moms or something like that or whatever group you want to we would maybe put it in the FinCon group and you ask people, you know, who's a good photographer? Who's that? Who's who's going to be good for this? You can get such great advice and so many amazing resources and also they can, you can tell them what your budget is and things like that and, and ask them specifically, what should I pay for a DJ? What should I pay for a photographer? What's the range? And even they can privately message you if they don't want to say it in the group, but that is so helpful having that actual information about what people really pay because as businesses should, they're always going to start out with a very high quote. I find that a lot, that if you don't come in and say, this is my budget, they'll just throw out, as again, as they should, a very high quote and work down from there. Mm, okay. So having that real knowledge is huge. So with, with the friend stuff too, I can see a lot of times where we we play this comparison game. And I don't even know if we consciously do it sometimes, but we're constantly, you know, my friend just had a birthday party for their six-year-old and they spent $5,000. I hope not, but maybe who knows? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know, right? That's uh, a lot even for New York City, Wendy. No, for please. real. I know. Well, here in Idaho, that's what we do. I'm teasing. <laughs> so I can oh see so much comparison coming up. So when you're getting that type of advice, how do you personally like filter through What's legitimate advice and then what – so if a friend tells you it's $600 for a DJ, how do you filter through if that's actually good advice? I think you have to know who they are and go to the friends that you feel are aligned with your money values and start there. So who are you asking? What kind of events do they throw? You want to find someone that's sort of at the same speed as you. I think that's really great advice. That makes perfect sense. And then for some of the groups where you're trying to connect with other moms, you mentioned some Facebook groups. How do you find those specifically? 
I like just geography because I think local is a really thing as a really big thing that we are starting to value more is the idea of someone that you could know online, but maybe also that mom group or whatever affiliate group you have can also have in-person meetings and also for resources. I mean, let's just say you have want to do a clothing swap. It's just going to be easier if you're local. So I think just searching local and then whatever it may be, um, local people that like to ski, local people that want to play golf local people that like to play board games, whatever it is for your area. So mine would be Manhattan. You can look in in your town for that kind of group. And I think that's a good way to do it because you do have that option of meeting people in person. Walk us through how you would structure a clothing swap. I think this is a really cool idea. Um, I have not done that. So I don't know necessarily. I've actually sold clothing though on Poshmark and those kind of things, the real, real. So I do that and then you get the money and then, or you can, you sometimes get a better haul. You get a better percentage if you take it in their cash and their credits, and then you can go shopping with that. And if that gives you a wider thing, but I do know there's a lot of groups that do like a, I forget what you call it, a no spend group, those kind of things where they just trade things, um, for the actual thing, bartering. Oh, there but you go. I, I don't want to, you know, I haven't done it. So, but I have done all those services where you, you sell things online and I think those are great. That's so cool. So is it, and have I you found, stuff. have you found like a good thing to sell online? Is it baby clothes? Is it just anything as your kids age? How, how do I even know where to start? Well, I think things that are in really good shape are always going to get the best price. Also things that are from a brand that people recognize and like, so for example, if you have a purse that, um, you bought years ago and maybe, so for example, in my twenties, I did have a couple of nice, um, designer purses. They were much more in style back then. And so I sold them because I just wasn't using them and I got a nice chunk of change for them, that kind of stuff. Um, I actually now have some purses. This is really funny. I just discovered, I have to go to an event on Monday and I went to get this it's called Judith Lieber is the brand. I don't know if anyone has ever heard of her, um, of your listeners. You guys can Google her. They're very expensive, little tiny purses. They're fabulous. So I have a bunch that were my mom's. My mom's no longer with us. I haven't used them ever, literally ever. I've never used them, but I'm like, let me pull it out. They are so adorable, but they are too small to ever even fit a phone. (laughs) And so I know it's crazy. So I don't think I will ever use them, right? I haven't used them in 15 years and I don't think I ever will. So that's something that honestly, if you can, you know, emotionally part with it, those kind of things are good because it's something that is, um, a brand that people that are into it will know that had a high value. These can go for in the thousands and they're little jewel purses, but they're not of any use to me. So that's something that I think might be good to sell. Oh, I love that. You're not going to use. And you... I think and my mom, by the way, who's not here, she would be proud of me for that. She would love that. <laughs> She's she would. I love well, that. She says, it's not even big enough to fit a phone, Whitney. Come on. <laughs> Literally, like, you know, you're never using that for any black tie event. No, because you can't even fit a phone. You can put your quarters in there. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's so how do you go about selling that? Like, what's your what's your strategy for getting that listed? So you photograph it and then you upload it. Super easy. Fill it out. Just your price mark. Um, You can do posh mark and then the real real also if it's something higher end you can do the real real and they will actually come to your house sometimes if you have uh, a number of things if you have a certain number of items or you can mail it to them and they will evaluate it and those places will take a photo for you oh. and they'll they will hold some places will hold inventory so the real real will hold the inventory and they'll send it back if it doesn't sell if you want to have it back but 
some places like Poshmark, you have it. And then when somebody buys it, they send you a kit to package it up. So it looks all nice. You, you made it, you sort of kind of like when I worked at the clothing store, you, you know, package it up and then you mail it to them. Mm-hmm. It's really easy. I highly recommend doing that stuff, especially because we all have so much stuff in our homes that we are not using. And it depends. I don't have a lot of space here in New York City. So it's really good to get rid of stuff. And it's not only the money, it's you feel good that someone else is getting use out of it. I think there's a new appreciation. And we've talked about this actually a bunch on on the show I do with Joe Salcihai, Money with Friends. There's a new appreciation for not just the money aspect of secondhand goods, but the eco-friendly benefits of it, that we aren't constantly making and consuming so many new things that we're reusing things that are perfectly good, but may not fit in the life stage you're in. I love this. Or whatever. You're just not going to use them anymore. So why not let somebody else use it and let them get the enjoyment of it? Exactly. Or do a swap with your friends or somehow make it a little bit more beneficial. I love the the idea of being able to repurpose and then just think more creatively. I think this is like a really good theme for this conversation is how do we get out of our bubbles, get outside of our heads and figure out ways to save money, still have nice things and not be taken advantage of financially. I mean, it, it, I think yeah. it's really interesting stuff. So for how do you and renting, rent- renting clothing is a big thing too. Where do you rent clothing? Rent the runway. Oh, and you so guys have a store there too. We do. And so for this event that I was just re- referencing where I was looking for the fancy little handbag, mm-hmm. I rented a dress. So instead of owning a dress, that is $500 or some crazy amount because yep. it's black tie whatever amount it is, it's still a waste. It's going to sit in my closet. I don't go to a lot of galas these days as a mom and as a business person, but I can have this dress rented and then just back it goes. And what's nice is someone else will enjoy that dress too. So it's not just the money. It's that the dress really gets worn by more people, which is also good for the environment. I I hear you. And I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second because I'm 100% with you. I think it's a great service. But I could see a lot of people saying, but I could actually buy some type of dress for that same dollar amount and then keep the dress. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I don't think you can. I don't think that you can buy a $500 dress for $30, whatever. Maybe they can. I also have, it would be a time investment. I guess you'd be searching for so many bargains and you'd be looking, it's a lot of time. I mean, what's the cost of your time also? And if they're buying it at one of these fast fashion places, that's something that, you know, everyone should do what's right for them. But I think that there's a lot of very inexpensive clothing that's made in unethical ways. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we should be talking about. So to buy a high quality dress that the people that made it were paid fairly for, that was, you know, um, went through our economy in a a supportive way where people got paid appropriate wages at all the different stages, it's going to cost a certain amount of money. And I think it's better to share it and have the cost be spread among different people and have the dress get more wear for the manufacturing. Because there's a toll that all manufacturing takes on our environment. And so I think that it is better to have better quality clothing that we all share rather than pumping out a lot of fast fashion that um, is often very poor quality and very often made in ways that aren't always ethical. Amen to that, sister. I agree. Oh, I'm sorry. That was a bit of a pushback, but no, I love it. I do it. feel strongly about the about that topic, and I do feel strongly that I I do like the idea of renting things like clothing that you're not going to wear that often. You don't have to rent a sweatshirt that you're going right. to wear every other day or whatever. Exactly. But for a black tie black tie outfit, and I've learned I've bought $500 dresses for you know my brother's wedding or some really big occasion. I really splurge and I'm going to wear it again, and then I don't. I don't. Yep. And there it sits in my closet. 
Oh, I'm with you. I do the exact same thing. That's why I think services like Rent the Runway or renting clothes or even doing the clothing swap, like whatever you have to do, I think it's worth it completely. Because for one thing, you don't, as you mentioned, the environmental impact, that's huge. You save some money. And then you don't have to store the shit. Like, to me, that's yeah. the biggest piece is who well, wants exactly. all that in your closet. Exactly. And you think you're going to wear it again, but you probably won't. No. No, you definitely But maybe. Won't. I don't I mean, know. Maybe some people have better social lives than us. I don't know. I know. Maybe we're <laughs> – I'm like, are we lame, Bobby? Is that what's going on here? I don't know. What's up with that? I thought I don't we know. were cool. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I also, I also am a big fan. I just bought sneakers today, and I, I usually buy last year's color. You can save a lot of money if you buy last year's model, which is usually just a color difference. There might sometimes be different technology, but usually they switch out the colors. So buy last year's sneaker, last year's, all that kind of stuff, last year's. That is so freaking smart. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a favorite pair of shoes that you're rocking these days? Um, no, I buy cheap shoes. I don't have, I'm not a good shoe person, but I will tell you, a client bought me fancy shoes. I have one pair of Jimmy's shoes that I had to wear on camera. They're okay. I mean, I'm really a sneakers person. Yeah. You I don't know. I dress up for work. Yeah. You know, as an anchor person, what happens is that 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 kind of look becomes work. And so I'm really in the extremes. I'm either really dolled up or I'm really in sweats. <laughs> That's One so or the awesome. other. I bet your closet is kind of hysterical, actually. It's probably it very is. extreme. Very bright. There's a lot of very bright, hot pink and bright orange dresses and bright red dresses. And it's kind of blinding, Whitney. I love it. I think that's great. It's really embarrassing when you're just walking around and you have these ridiculous clothes that look really good on camera, but in person, it's a bit much. Yeah, I feel you. I totally do. Bobby, I, I could easily talk with you forever. And I know you have some obligations to family. So I want to start wrapping up our conversation. But are you down for some rapid fires before we officially part ways? Totally. Awesome. Okay. So tell us what is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? I signed up for a unlimited dance studio membership, which was a huge decision, Whitney, because I previously had stopped going to this place because I felt it was too expensive and I didn't go for a year. I gained weight. I didn't feel good. I have a gym in my building. So I felt really silly paying for this dance class because there's a treadmill. I even have a pool. I always walk in Central Park, which is great. I get amazing ideas for my business. I love doing that with friends. Um, so that we don't eat food and spend money and get fat. So I do the walking in Central Park. So I felt it was an unnecessary expense. But the truth is that it makes me so happy to do these dance classes. And it's a real splurge. But I'm really glad that I'm back. I'm having a great time. And I'm I'm happy I'm spending the money on it. Oh, I think that's awesome. Good for you. I'm I did get 20% off though. I, I got <laughs> Of course, there it is. <laughs> I said, if I come back, what will you give me? <laughs> Because you asked. Good for you. Because I asked. Always ask. Oh, nicely. Nicely. Always ask nicely. There's usually something they can do if you ask really nicely. True. And you and and compliment them. Say, I love that. I love it here. I want to come back. I didn't come because it's just really expensive. What can you do for me? Bam. And then shut up and let Uh, them negotiate. Yeah. I love this. Tell us about your morning routine. What does that look like today? So my morning routine is focused on getting my child to school on time in the correct clothing. <laughs> he goes to a uniform school and he has to, this is the first year he has to tie a tie. So that's really stressful. But we're at the point where I just let him tie the tie and it's creative, but it's on. <laughs> it's creative. 
<laughs> and so I drop them at school. And then depending on what I'm doing, I'm either walking in Central Park or racing back to tape a podcast with Joe Salcihai. We tape money with friends a lot in the morning after drop off. So um, yeah, podcasting or walking in the park in I the morning. This. And I try to have coffee, but I often forget, which may be okay. I don't know. Oh, it's probably a good thing, actually. Yeah. And I have I have fruit shakes. I, I do subscribe to something that's also another splurge I started recently to be a little healthier is um, I have and I don't do it every week. I You can a lot of subscriptions. This is important. You can turn them off for some weeks. Mm. So I do this daily harvest, which is these shakes. Oh, yeah. No, not, not an ad. No, no affiliation with them. But I do them. And what's nice is if I don't have them, I can just skip a week or two. So that's really important. Whatever you have a subscription to those kind of things, if you're in the halfway, you can lower them very often. Also, you can cut it back. It was originally eight was the lowest option. And then I said, I'm going to cancel it. And suddenly they offered me six a week. Whoa. That's pretty So they'll sweet. offer you smaller ones, but you kind of have to ask. They'll always upsell you at the beginning. Like they'll give you eight, 12 or 16 servings at the beginning, let's say. So you choose eight, right? But then eight's too much. So I was going to cancel and then suddenly an option for six appeared. That is so cool. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tell us where you would love to travel to. Well, first of all, I like being home. I've traveled a lot in my life, so I, I like to be home. I'm curious to go to Alaska, though. I think it's really beautiful, and I would love to experience it. It's one of the few places that I haven't been because I did travel a lot as a child. I was very fortunate. We went on a lot of very um, exotic trips. We went on weird trips, Whitney. I mean, we were at Easter Island. I went to Cuba. I went to Russia. Oh, I climbed Machu Picchu. I mean, it was it was enough that I didn't want to travel at a certain point, which is you know sort of a, a backlash. Um, that I don't think my parents intended it. So it was such a wonderful gift, all the travel that we did. Um, so I'd like to see the United States more because that's not something that I did growing up. So I really, I also want to go to the national parks. Um, so I'd like to do more traveling in the U S I haven't been to a lot of places here. Like I've never been to Nashville. I'd like to go to Nashville. I'd like to go to the Carolinas. I, I just like to see more of the U S but especially Alaska would be the top of my list. I love that. Okay, my friends, uh, give us your final piece of advice for what you believe the secret to financial success is. Be deliberate. Just, you know, you've given tips where you just go through bank statements. It's very important. If you just know what it is, just like with counting calories, restaurants here in New York, I don't know if you have it in Idaho, but they started publishing the calories. And the minute you see the number, your behavior changes. So with money, Every problem can be solved if you're aware of it and make a decision to solve it. And the first step is just seeing the numbers. And we all have challenges. Trust me. I got three kids. I have a husband and a dog. We're here in New York City. It's not easy. Everyone has challenges. But if you look at your numbers, you can at least put together a plan and move forward and uh, feel better. Just when you're actually doing something, you're going to feel better even along the way. I love it. Bobby, thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of your wisdom. Everybody should definitely go tune into your podcast, Financial Grown Up and Money with Friends. They're both incredible, very different formats, but a ton of fun. And I am so grateful you took the time to hang out. Where should people go to connect with you online? Well, first of all, I just want to thank you again for having me. Money Nerds is one of my favorite podcasts. I listen to pretty much every episode. It is so useful and so informative. So I am honored to be here. Everything connected to me can be found on my website, bobbyrebell.com. On Instagram, I'm at bobbyrebell1, the number one. And on Twitter, just bobbyrebell, B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L. -B -B -E 
And uh, yeah, I would love any anyone to, who wants to come join us over at Financial Grown Up. We do money stories with high achievers like Whitney. She's going to be on an upcoming episode. And we do uh, a lot of news coverage and a lot of um, fun audience polls with Money with Friends. And by the way, oh, Money with Friends has a handle at Money Friends Pod. So follow us, especially on Instagram and Twitter. We do a lot of fun polls and you can be in the show oh, cool. if you answer our money polls on our Instagram at Money Friends Pod. Yes, I love it. Bobby, thank you again. I know you're a busy lady. So it was really fun to connect with you and just chat and hear a little bit more about how you grew up as a kid too. This was the coolest. Thank you so much, Whitney. Okay, tell me what you thought. Did you love this episode? I know I did. And I learned a ton from Bobby. I think the part that really stood out to me was the conversation around when to walk away from a high paying job. I really appreciated that. I thought it was very refreshing to hear that it's okay to walk away from something that doesn't serve your greater good. I appreciated that tremendously. And I'd love to hear from you. What stood out to you? Make sure you tag me on Instagram and let me know your takeaways for this episode. All right, guys, that's it for today. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Another episode in the bag. I will see you on Friday for Five Tip Friday or next Wednesday for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye. Bye.